You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I've got some financial insight for you today. Talking contracts with J.I. Halsell, an NFL agent and former salary cap guy with the Redskins. You can follow him on Twitter at salarycap101. We talk about a number of Redskins, Trent Williams' value among others, Brandon Sheriff, Eric Flowers, Quentin Dunbar. Talk about them all. And then about potential free agent targets. What might it cost to sign Austin Hooper at tight end or James Bradbury at corner? And then it's me and you. I answer your mailbag questions and provide updates on the linebacking core as well as why this situation compares to the Marty Schottenheimer season. Hmm. But first, my conversation with J.I. Halsell. Now I'm joined by J.I. Halsell. For people who have been around the Redskins for a while, you should know that name. He used to be a salary cap guy with the Redskins. He was on ESPN 98 as an insider. He's an NFL agent. So he's kind of covered and seen everything in this business from a financial perspective especially. So he's a great guest. Um, and Jay, I thank you very much for joining me. The question I want to start with is Trent Williams. That's obviously the big topic here. When you look at this situation, how would you think, what is the best way for this to end up where is the best to end up going? I mean, I think, as is the case with a lot of situations in the NFL, money can cure a lot. And so, look, obviously Trent had his reservations, his issues with the pr prior regime. With, with Ron taking over, I think, to a certain degree, there's a little bit of a, a clean slate there, perhaps. Um, but what I think definitely puts this over the top is if you're willing to uh, pay Trent Williams accordingly. Um, you know, at, at this point in, um, in, in the left tackle market, you know, Trent's not even one of the top five highest paid left tackles in football. Um, you've got guys like DJ Humphreys making um, a little under $15 million per year, which is still more than Trent Williams. Right. And so if you want to woo him back, I think if you take care of him from a compensation standpoint, I think that goes a long way. Do you think that there's any way, because I've heard both all sorts of theories, and my thought is at this point, it's best to extend him because if he had played last year, you're going to be extending him at this point anyway. So it's not like it's an outlandish thing by any means. There's another side where you say, well, you know, you don't want to get rid of him now because you'd have to find another tackle. So you have him for another year, and maybe you can start that whole process next year if you don't want to pay him. Is there any way it makes sense for him to come back playing out the last year of his contract? Uh, I think that from a Trent Williams standpoint, if you know that if you, if you delay a decision on a contract extension right now, just play out the last year of your deal, and you go to the market, 
there's a chance that someone might want to pay you 19 to 20 million dollars per year right so but that's all part of the uh, any negotiation that we're, we we talk about whether we're talking about Trent Williams whether we're talking about uh, any other high-end player and so the Redskins from a contract negotiation standpoint need to make a compelling uh, proposal that makes sense for Trent to give that up and you know in addition to the proposal it's got to be you know, the conversation that he just recently had with Coach Rivera. And, you know, when he takes all of those things into consideration, you know, yeah, that'll, from a Trent Williams perspective, frame up whether or not he takes the money now or just plays out this deal and sees what the market is willing to pay him. Do you, how much does that Lane Johnson deal factor into this? I mean, I have to assume that if I'm Trent Williams and I look at that, say, if you're giving Lane Johnson 18 per year, I'd like a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not by chance that I threw out that number of 19 million, 20 million per year. Right. Be, be, because, you know, there's going to be a couple of offensive tackles um, this offseason who get new, new deals. Now, I don't think any of them rise to the level of Lane Johnson's 18. Um, but the point is, is that um, if Anthony Costanzo comes back to Indianapolis and they give him 17 and we already know that Trent Brown's making 16 and a half and Lane right. Johnson's making 18 why wouldn't, if I'm Trent Williams, why wouldn't I just roll the dice on myself and, you know, wait for a team next offseason to pay me 19 or 20? Well, and I think the other factor here, too, is I think, like, Laramie Tunsil's in the last year of his deal. So I wonder yep. if there's going to be an extension. And I wonder how, you know, if you're Trent Williams, do you wait for to see what happens with him? Or do you just say, well, I'm going to try and sign one now? Yeah, no, I mean, again, you know, Trent's made a lot of money in his career, right? He, he's, a, he's a product of the old rookie compensation system. So, you know, he's got the financial wherewithal to, um, you know, defer making a decision on a contract extension with the Redskins now and wait to see for the, these other data points to uh, materialize. And, yeah, one of those significant data points is going to be Laramie Tunsil. Um, and, again, that only sets Trent up to really capitalize uh, in free agency next uh, offseason. So, in your, in your view, it almost seems like – you either extend them now or do you just if you're not going to extend them you just trade them you think from a from a redskins perspective and this isn't you know anything unique to trent williams with players who are in the final year of their deal um they are trade candidates and particularly particularly if the player you do not feel like you can come to some sort of monetary agreement with then to answer your question then yes if you don't feel like you you can come to an agreement with trent on an extension then you look to trade him. And I think another guy in that's in a similar spot is Quentin Dunbar, who actually wants to be traded or released if he doesn't get an extension. And I would think that in his situation, if you're the Redskins, he's probably a little bit easier to trade, given that it seems like maybe he, you know, it seems like Trent Williams probably still would like to be here if the money works out. I think with Quentin Dunbar, it may be that you hear those kind of demands and your preference would be to trade him. Yeah, he's definitely got, you know, a contract that's easily tradable. You know, that's part of his gripe, if you will, is that he makes right. it is a great money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, play, he's played well when he's played, when he's been healthy. Yeah, and, you know, I would imagine that from his perspective, you know, he, he's going to make, I think, under $4 million this year. There's a good chance that the Redskins go and sign a corner or two in free agency this offseason who are going to make – 
double, triple what he makes. Um, and, you know, and so when you kind of bring all of those factors together, you know, the Redskins moving on from him via trade um, could make some sense for both parties because now you get something in return for a disgruntled player. And then for Quentin Dunbar, you know, a team that trades for him is not going to just trade for him for the one year at under $4 million. They're going to want to do an extension. Right. So um, it's a win-win in, in that scenario. And I also think, I think you hit on it too, like you know how it can go. If you have a player coming back in that situation, if you don't trade him and you don't extend him, the potential for it to be bad is, is, is there. You know, and real quick, I mean, it's one of the lessons I learned from working on the team side of the business, you know, working at the Redskins. You know, one of the things that Eric Schaefer kind of taught me is that you never really want a player walking around your locker room feeling like the team is getting over on him from a right. compensation standpoint. And it's clear at this juncture that Quentin Dunbar feels that way. Absolutely. And so as you're trying to change the culture, you're trying to mold a locker room, um, moving on from Quentin Dunbar could, again, be a win-win situation. And then you look, at, you look at Brandon Sheriff. So, again, two years, another guy. Every guy we seem to talk about is like, well, when healthy, he could, be, he could do this. But another guy who is really good but hurt the last two years, he's free, he'd be considered a top guard. Do you think if he's, out, if he's on the market that he resets the guard market? And, and what would you do with him? Oh, absolutely. If, if if Brandon Scherf is a unrestricted free agent, see, being an unrestricted free agent and how much money you earn in free agency is not a function necessarily of your health. It's not right. a function necessarily of your productivity on the field. It's a function of supply and demand. <laughs> right. And, and it's just hard to find linemen in general, but let alone offensive linemen who play at a high level. And therefore, there is going to be significant, there would be significant demand for his services if he were a free agent. So that being said, as you're Brandon Scherf and you're contemplating doing an extension with the Washington Redskins, it's got to make sense for you to give up that opportunity to see what the market is willing to pay you. So, so yeah, so, you know, and the Redskins have the the possibility of, of tagging him. And I've heard that, you know, he, he doesn't want to be tagged. Um, and, and, and being tagged as an offensive lineman effectively, at, you know, pays you as a tackle, even though sure. his case, as a guard, right? So it's going to be lucrative for him either way. He is well within his right to uh, demand to be the highest paid offensive guard in football. And I think you're right. I, if I'm him, you know, I know he wouldn't want to be tagged. I also wonder if that might be the best way to go to tag and then to continue negotiating. Now, we saw here with Kirk Cousins that didn't quite work. But typically, that seems what a lot of teams like to do, correct? They do. And, I mean, you've also seen this recent trend of players being tagged and traded. Uh, right. So you've seen that with defensive ends the past couple of years. Um, and the tag is really just a placeholder to extend your um, negotiation timeline until uh, mid-July with Brandon Scherf in this example. And right. um, if you ultimately find that you're not making any headway, then you can decide to, uh, to, to move on from via trade. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I think like the other, the part of me wonders too, if they would just say, well, let's see. And I also wonder if both sides would want to see let's, where is this going here with Ron Rivera and this new regime? Because even though fans can look and see all this optimism, I think there are some players there who after a while just get beaten down by a situation 
and no matter what, and I'm not saying Brandon does or doesn't, but I wonder if that would factor into his decision to want to sign long-term now and also theirs to see, well, where is his health? You know, again, this guy, then Rivera's coming in and taking over a play, team and all of these players we're talking about have health issues. So I, would, do you think that might factor in at all or is that overthinking it? Look, if they were to just give him a big bag of money <laughs> that he is, that you just can't pass up, right. then I think you, you take that. Yeah. In lieu, in lieu of that, then yes, you know, for both sides, kind of playing the wait and see how this all kind of meshes game via the application of the franchise tag could make some sense. But from a Brandon Scherf standpoint, again, this is a guy who has an extensive injury history. Right. I'm sure he would prefer to secure his uh, compensation uh, future sooner rather than later, but it's got to make sense. And security always matters. I remember way back in the day, players saying they wouldn't sign if a guy came here and then they sign they, and they say, well, security, you know, and that does matter to everybody. Eric Flowers, the other guard, what do you think his market is and his, his value is on the market? I think Eric proved the last season that, look, I'm not saying that he's an elite offensive guard, but he has proven to be a solid starter at guard. And when you look at the guard market, while you've got guys like Andrew Norwell and Jacksonville is making $13 million per year, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not going to cost you a ton of money. Like, could, could Eric Flowers command seven, eight, nine million million per year? He could, because that's kind of what just solid uh, guards make. Um, so I, I don't see him getting in excess of $10 million per year, but I could definitely see him uh, making kind of in that, in that eight to nine range. I want to then now turn a little bit to, for a couple minutes, to some outside the market. And when we're looking at free agency, that corner market, where do you, it looks like there's a good crop of corners out there with, with Jones and Bradbury and Harris and, 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 and Logan Ryan. Where do you think that market is going to go? I think with all those names you just mentioned are going to be unrestricted free agents. Um, but you're also going to have some guys who, in all likelihood, are going to be cap casualties and released guys like Tremaine Johnson, guys right. like Xavier Rhodes. And that's actually going to, to a certain degree, hurt the cornerback market, right? Because, again, it goes back to simple supply and demand, right? And the more supply of competent corners that are out there on the market, the um, lower the price is going to be that clubs are willing to pay. Um, unless, unless you've got, you know, some scheme-specific reason for wanting to go after a particular guy. You know, obviously Seattle likes really long corners like Quentin Dunbar, actually. Right. And so a, a guy like Xavier Rhodes or Tremaine Johnson might appeal to them. Um, but again, I think that those guys who will become street free agents via cap casualty um, will kind of uh, reduce the market for the unrestricted free agents to a certain degree. So who do you look at at the top of that market? Are you looking at, do you look at it um, as Byron Jones setting that market in, and where would a guy like, cause again, the guy, the guy here who always is connected to the Redskins is James Bradbury because of his connection yeah. to Rivera. 
Um, but I do think like Byron Jones fits a lot of teams too. So how do you, who do you look at setting that mark? Yeah, I don't, I don't, there's, there's no one that is going to command the type of money that a, uh, uh, a Jalen Ramsey's going to command when he ultimately gets his deal. Right. right. But I also don't, I also think that there's no one that we've talked about just now that is going to exceed Xavier Howard at $15 million per year. You know, when you think about Chris Harris, he, he's older. You think about Byron Jones, while he's versatile, he hasn't finished on the ball. He's not super productive statistically. Um, when you think about James Bradbury, he's he, the physical profile in terms of what you're looking for in a long physical corner and specific to Washington, he's got the familiarity. Right. With Ron. Um, but I don't think that any of those guys have the characteristics that get you above 15 where Xavier Howard is. Okay. So, you know, could I see those guys ending up in that 12, 14 million per range? Sure. Um, but I, I don't think anybody's resetting the market. Via okay. Fee. Because I was wondering, too, with that, that, you know, some people have said that it's been stagnant there for a while. And they wondered, in Bradbury's position, they say, listen, you paid Josh Norman $15 million to come here. You already know me. Pay me the same. <laughs> you know, I don't and – and you can ask for whatever you want. It doesn't mean they'll get it. But that's what – you know, there was a one scenario mm -hmm. floating. Yeah, again, supply and demand, though. Right. And so yeah. it, it's one of those situations where, okay, if, James, you don't want to take our $13 million per year, then perhaps Byron Jones will. And, and there you go. And then the other position is tight end. How do you view this market going? Because there are a couple guys that seem to be attractive. You know, Austin Hooper, Hunter Henry. Where do you think that one is going? You know, the tight end market is actually really interesting because that is one of the positional markets that has truly been stagnant. And when you think about the growth of the wide receiver position, right, where Odell Beckham's getting 18 and Michael Thomas is above that, the pass as a pass catcher, tight ends, the top of the market is Jimmy Graham at $10 million per year. Right. Like offensive guards are making more, more than that. Right. <laughs> so um, I could definitely see Austin Hooper easily surpassing Jimmy Graham. It's, it's crazy. Travis Kelsey is arguably one of the top two or three tight ends in football. He makes $9.4 million per year. Um, it's amazing. So I definitely see Austin Hooper resetting the tight end market and he could do it by a, a significant amount and you know and I, I would wonder too like with Hunter Henry what what will happen with him just because the injury passed and I also it also seems like the charges will try and keep him um but I mean with Hunter Henry and this is with any player uh kind of at any position it I used to be of the thought that you know a player particular player who's injured in his contract year um, it would negatively impact what they could go get in free agency. And then I saw Muhammad Wilkinson a few years back break his leg and still make yeah. a ton of money in free agency. And so, you know, Hunter Henry, you know, he was out at the beginning of last season but came back to play. Just from a structure standpoint, you can always structure the deal to mitigate some of your injury concerns, whether it's, you know, per-game roster bonuses so that every game he's on the 46-man roster, he earns a little extra money. Um, but at the end of the day, again, supply and demand, it's hard to find those guys. And, um, he, he's another player would not surprise me if he surpassed the $10 million per year mark. And he just probably will have some mechanisms in his contract structure that mitigate the injury history.
How do you do you think the Redskins, with knowing what you know about Rivera, would you think they'll be aggressive? It's hard to say because what we know of Ron is as a is as a coach, right? right. We don't know about Ron the the personnel leader, right? We know that Kyle Smith has been in the building, right? And right. we know kind of what the Redskins' recent approach has been in free agency. And quite frankly, they just haven't been big spenders and they've really been kind of second-tier guys. Right. It would not surprise me if they remain kind of second-tier spenders in free agency. There may be one guy that they go spend some money on, whether that's Hunter Henry or um, an Austin Hooper. But um, by and large, I, I don't – because of the con continuity it, with a Kyle Smith um, kind of leading the front office part of this, um, I, I don't foresee them being big spenders. And also, you know, Ron, my sense is, is that Ron, you know, wants to build this thing kind of the right way, doesn't yeah. want to make a big splash in free agency, kind of going back to the old ways of the Redskins. And, you know, while I'm sure he would love to have James Bradbury, it's got to be at the right price point. Um, I, def I definitely think, J.I., that the, the mindset there is they don't have to build this all in one offseason. So anybody who assumes a trade in the draft, that's incorrect because they don't feel like you have to get five picks to get all these talent in now. They want to build it with the right people at the right time, so at the right pace. So that said, they may do anything. But the other last thing I want to ask you about is at the combine, you know, in, what, what, what an agent does at the combine. What are some of the things that are going now? How many meetings are guys taking um, during this time? And what are the, you know, do you know when you're there? what probably will happen in free agency when, after you leave? You, you don't know, you know, with 100% certainty, but you definitely have, you walk away from the combine with a ballpark in terms of what is, the, going back to this concept of supply and demand, what is the, the, the demand going to be for my client when you talk about from the agent perspective? Right. Um, same thing from a club perspective. You have a certain sense for, which players will fit within our uh, price point. Um, and again, you're not going to know with 100% certainty, but you will have a certain ballpark. Um, the tough thing about the combine, at least from an agent perspective, is that clubs really aren't talking about a lot of numbers and specific details mm -hmm. around contracts and negotiations there. They're going to talk more in generalities, but um, again, you will know if a team has an interest in your guy or not. So, um, you know, so, you know, and, and that's definitely helpful, but over the next couple of weeks, as we go into uh, the start of the league year and the, the, the legal tampering period, <laughs> a couple of days before the start of free agency, uh, you'll, you'll start, you know, getting a better sense for more details. Do you sometimes know going in, because I know I've talked to guys in the past and there's a little bit of a, you know, teams might call in and check on and say, hey, I'm just calling to see how so-and-so is doing. Make sure his health is, you know, make sure he yep. doesn't have a cold or whatever. So you, do you kind of have a sense of going into that, um, even uh, that you, what the interest might be? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you know, I might be calling a team about another client, right? And if by chance, you know, the conversation comes up about another one of my clients, then, uh, you know, you can read between the lines. Right. And, um, and it, you know what, it's also not about guys that are impending free agents. You know, some of the other things that are talked about in the days leading up to the combine, at the combine, and in days thereafter are, you know, whether or not um, a team is interested in extending 
a player sure. or whether or not a team is considering terminating a player. So, um, you know, a lot of these conversations are ongoing as we speak. And, um, you know, there's definitely um, a lot of gauging going on these days. <laughs> and, and, and just I appreciate your time, Jay. And the la very last thing I want to ask you about is, and I forgot to ask you about this earlier, but you brought up the extensions and we were talking about other guys. Ryan Kerrigan also in the last year of his contract. I have been told a couple of times that the expectations that he would be extended. Given his age, he's 31, he's been productive, but they also might draft Chase Young and they already have Montez Sweat. What do you think would a, a good extension would look like for him? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he rises to the level of Cameron Jordan, who just did an extension at uh, the new money average per year, 17 and a half million per sure. year, because, uh, you know, Cameron Jordan is 31 years old, right? So he, he is kind of a data point, right, in terms of an older edge rusher getting an extension. I'm still not certain, though, that, you know, Ryan Kerrigan um, gets to that number. Um, I think the biggest thing with Ryan Kerrigan and how you structure his deal is um, you're probably not going to commit a lot of guaranteed money because um, – to your point, you know, you know that you've got some young guys at the position. Um, you also know that you've got to pay some guys along your defensive line, you know, second sure. contract coming up pretty soon here. So you can't commit that money to a guy who's on the back end of uh, his career. And so I think, you know, again, if it makes sense in terms of how you're managing your cap, and the Redskins have plenty of cap space, you know, there's yep. 60 plus million in terms of cap space. But you still need to be conscious of how, how much you're paying to a guy on the back end of his career versus those guys who are still on the come and on the cusp of getting second contracts. Um, I, think, I think in an ideal world, too, they would probably – because he's at 11.5 this year. I think in an ideal world, they'd want to lower that a little bit in exchange for getting some more years from him. Yeah, and that mechanically from a cap management standpoint, that's why you do an extension with a right. lot of players – is really just to get the cap relief. Um, but again, they're not in a bad, you know, cap position. And that 60 plus million dollars of cap space is inclusive of, you know, Alex Smith's 20 plus million dollar <laughs> cap number, right? So they're in great uh, position from a cap standpoint. So um, it just needs to make sense from a, from a where you value him standpoint. Otherwise, um, while I know that they would like to get something done, it also wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, they let him play out the final year of this deal. Yeah, and it's funny you bring up Alex Smith, too, because that's the other one. But, like, he's going to be around this year because we all, we've talked about the cap number and hit from him before. And it's going to be hard to really do anything about him until next year. So, anyways, with that said, Jay, I, I appreciate your time. And thank you very much for joining me. And keep enjoying that nice warm weather out in Arizona. Oh, no, I appreciate you for having me, man. After this break, I'll be back to answer your mailbag questions. Is anyone with the Redskins pushing for Tua? And then Chase Young or Isaiah Simmons? Who could have the bigger impact? Okay, now it's time for the mailbag. I have a bunch of questions, so let's get into it. Washington D. Haskins at King HTTR. What can Chase Young do during the combine, non-workout, of course, or pro day, if anything, that can hurt his draft stock, regardless of how much? 
The easiest question I have to answer here. It's very short. He can get hurt or have a big red flag with his health, or he could be a jackass in the interviews. Otherwise, not going to hurt it one bit. See, that was easy. A process at A underscore process. If Dunbar's trader holds out, will acquiring two starting quality quarterback free agents become mandatory? Good question, and I will say, if he's holding out, they're going to get rid of him because they're not going to put up with that. Not from a guy that they, if because if he's coming back at that price, I definitely believe they feel like there'd be a fear he would become a um, a bit of a, a bit of a cancer, um, or certainly not a good situation. So if he's holding out, they'll get rid of him. Um, and after multiple conversations, this would be my guess: they'll need to add a strong starter and perhaps draft another. And I would definitely draft another. But I think if you went this route, I think you get a guy that is a starting quality, a high-level starter. And then probably a mid-level guy too. You're not going to spend huge on two corners. That just wouldn't make sense. They have options with Fabian Moreau, who's better on the outside. I don't think Jimmy Moreland fits at outside at all what these coaches would want because of his size. Um, again, if they trade Dunbar, I think you're getting a third or a fourth round pick back. That would give them two in the third, and with a comp choice, two more in the fourth. It would be wise to draft a corner. I would not go crazy and sign two corners just because. Again, and I can't stress this enough. This is not a team on the cusp of a Super Bowl, so they can build accordingly. Their model will be to build it right. They know they do not have to fill every need right now. That Keep that in mind throughout this entire offseason with every move they make. Gary Shelton, that Real Shelton Show, give us an idea of our linebacking core going into free agency, please. Thank you for saying please. And a listener in England, Dave Taylor, emailed us a couple weeks back, also wanted to know about the linebackers, specifically Cole Holcomb. So here's what I know. Holcomb will play outside, but they're still deciding if it's a Sam or the Will. Coverage was not a strength of his in college or last season, but he has his speed and he is smart. And I think he can, they, I think they feel like he could develop there. I also think it depends who else is around. But anyway, that's why they're looking at Sam in addition to Will. Um, if Reuben Foster would, is, is available, he'd be viewed as a Will. But that's if we don't even know if he'll make it back for camp. I think there's a ways to go there, so let's see what happens. But that's the spot he would play if he's around, and we don't know enough yet. Sean Dion Hamilton would play inside. They also might re-sign John Bostic, which is something at T. Cleveland Jr. wanted to know. I don't know if they'll do so. I do know that it's not closed off yet. Um, I like Bostic. I think he's smart and a good influence. Um, I think he's a guy that I think in the right situation – um, could be pretty good. Um, I think one day he'll be a really good coach if he wanted to go that route. I also know that A.J. Klein will be available if they went on a low end, a lower end guy in free agency. He backed up Luke Keekley in Carolina, so clearly Rivera knows him well. Um, and the Redskins did have interest in him before, nearly signed him. It was a last minute no from a certain member of this organization that you guys did not like. Anyway, on to the next one, Chris Stone at Stone Dog Twenty Three. Why, John, should a long why should a long suffering Redskins fan get sucked in again? Okay, I could probably I probably get this question every time there's a change, and I've gotten it a couple times this year in different factions. So I'm going to answer it again. Well, and again, I answer this every week, all it seems. Um, but the main reason I think that you should that you should feel better right now is the way Rivera conducts his business. He and Kyle Smith truly seem to have a strong relationship, and I mean strong. Now. They haven't gone through the wars yet, so it should be good right now. I would say it's probably the best in terms of the front office coaching staff since Marty Schottenheimer and John Schneider back in 2001. Again, no games have been played. I'm just talking about the working relationship right now. 
And what I like about these two is that they can hash out any disagreements in private. I don't think they're going to see a bunch of screen matches and throwing folders at each other, whatever. Um, if they won't let it spill into public, and that alone has changed. I don't envision many times, if any, where they go to Dan Snyder to break any sort of a tie. Now, I know Ron Rivera will bring that up. I don't envision that happening. It will be two football men staying in a room and coming to a football decision. This will not be turned around overnight. But I do think that these two, plus if they added someone in, you know, as a GM or to help out in pro personnel, I think they can be a good tandem. They need to make sure that Dwayne Haskins blossoms. If he does, thanks to what I think that Smith and Rivera could do working together, it could get fun here again. Gavin G098 at God Help the Skins. Is everyone in the Redskins organization good on Haskins or some dudes pushing for Tua? The sense I've gotten is that they're excited about the way Haskins ended and they like his talent. I have, and I've, you know, I, I've heard good things about him from multiple people. I've not heard of people pushing for Tua, but in fairness, I don't know that I would at this point. I highly doubt that something anybody inside would even reveal. I think if that comes out, it's going to be because some people inside are talking to their buddies who end up talking to people like me. Um, they are much more unified now than ever. They did plan to meet with Tua at the Combine. They owe it to themselves to do so for a couple of reasons. They need to see how he is in interviews. If he blows them away, um, chances are he'll do the same with other teams. And that's when you know a few teams will fall deeply in love and want to move up or what they might be willing to do to move up. So it allows them to be more prepared for what might be coming. Also, what if they really like him? Now, I do believe durability would be a big issue here. So I don't, I would not see them taking him. But, you know, I, I can't rule that out. Um, I do know they believe they can push Haskins to being very good. So just keep that in mind. So the two interests to me will be more about drumming up interest as anything else. And I also think, you know, there's a part like you, you kind of want to let teams know that maybe you are interested. So maybe that number three pick isn't the sweet spot. Maybe it legitimately is number two. So let's also not, one thing to keep in mind for everybody listening, don't forget that Haskins has only started 21 combined games in college in the NFL. The dude is still an infant in his development. So I think there's, like, you you owe it, you, you should owe it to yourself to see it through with him and see where he does go. Unless there's some things you just don't like, then you should see where he can go. And I think they feel good, like like I said, that they can push him to to good, to a good or greater heights. Let's say that. Alan Laporte, at Alan Laporte. Who would have a bigger impact on defense, Chase Young or Isaiah Simmons? I think to me that's easy. Chase Young. Edge rushers always do. If, if especially if they both play at a certain level, they're both playing at a certain level, then I'm taking the edge rusher. And a guy like Young can impact so many other positions. The guys next to him, the linebackers, the secondary, everybody. If it's between these two, to me it's a no-brainer. That said, Simmons in this defense could be really good. I could see him playing the will and having an impact. So the question to me would be how big of an impact? If they feel he can be an all-pro player for them then trading back and passing on Chase Young could end up being worth it. He would help them, no doubt, and then they'd get a lot more picks. I, He's a guy that I, if they were playing a 3-4, I definitely would wonder where he'd fit in there. But he seems really well-suited for a 4-3, especially with the way the speed has gone in this game. All right, John Schechter at Schechter J. Take a deep breath, pal, because apparently he's tried this question before. He says, trying again, if since he does not take Burrow and takes Young, what should Washington do? Well, first of all, I think they should pray that this happens. The trade value jumps up because I think 
Again, with Tua's durability, I think Burrow will be looked at differently. Um, I don't know what the Redskins would do. Um, and I do believe they'd be much more tempted by Burrow than by Tua. Again, durability questions. My guess is they would trade out and go through a year with Haskins to see what they have. If he fails, they'll be back in the top 10 next year and probably have another first-round pick off a trade. So they would have ammo to move up. I will say this, though. They were 3-13 and 13 last year. They know that they have a long way to go. They know how important this position is. If they felt that Joe Burrow was that much better than Haskins, and I'm not saying they do, and I'm not saying, you know, we, you know, I'm not saying they do. But if they did, and he's sitting there at two, and you think he can make be a franchise changer for your team, how do you not take a guy like that? Because you think that Chase Young could be that guy, you'd take him in a heartbeat, right? I would. So I, you know, I just think that that's something that to look at. It will be interesting. I don't think that scenario will present itself. Um, at all right, last one at Diesel the Hog at Bless Skins, Kyle Smith. You think he's itching to get a wealth of picks for the number two? Any Eric Flowers news? All right, Diesel. No, I don't think he's itching to get a wealth of picks. Knowing what I know about him, he's all about finding the right guy. Very process-oriented guy. The, this notion that having more picks is better when you're possibly passing on an elite, a possible elite player is just inaccurate. I do believe he knows this. I strongly believe if Smith thinks Chase Young is the guy, they will take him. If he's not sold or if he's just as sold on some other guys, then you get the picks and then you get excited. You get excited because you have a chance to get really good players with that first pick. That's what gets guys excited. I think anyone who knows him would say he's not someone itching just to trade, just to get more picks. I don't think that at all. What if you're the guy who passed on Chase Young just because you wanted to get some more picks and some of these guys bust? That's not what you want either. So you've got to, I think what you should be excited about is what you're going to do, whether it's drafting Chase Young or trading back because you love Jeffrey Okuda or Isaiah Simmons at number five. As for Flowers, discussed him earlier in the podcast. I do know they'd like to keep him. I do believe they'll try to keep him. And I think we'll have a better feel after the combine for where that is headed. That's it for this week. I know these mailbag sessions go long. I apologize. I also know you have a lot of questions. I try to get through them. A big thank you to J.I. Halsell for joining me. You can follow him on Twitter at SalaryCap101. And thank you for the questions and for listening. Talk to you later.